Coming up next, the booketing considers the entire Austin oeuvre. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Nathan, your humble and obedient host. I've got my two good friends here. You might call him Dracula, you might call him Frankenstein. Oeuvre. There's Dracula Oeuvre himself. Hey. The Irish poet. You gotta believe it. Ghost Brandon. Irish Catholic poet. And there's DJ Funky Town, no, what is it, Beastmaster Funky Town himself. Oh yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. The master who's a master of reading. Yeah. Jake Menzel. It's me. He has mastered that reading. Folks, we're going to get right to it. We've got lots of important stuff to talk about today. The Mysterious Phantom's not going to show up. Fat Airplane's not going to, or Fat Alplane's not going to show up. Uh, Britney Spears, not going to show up. I can almost guarantee that none of those things will happen. So, guys, let's talk about it. Six years of Jane Austen. We're graduating yeah. from Austin School. Yeah. High school. Yeah. <laughs> six, six years. <laughs> We're that dumb. Yeah. Yeah, no. We've been in high school this entire time, people. This podcast is just an excuse to help us do our literature work. Hey, if we were high schoolers, that would be terrible because we'd be high schoolers and that's the most awful time of life. No, it's not. Middle school is much worse. Ah, for some of us, perhaps. But for some of us, have different experiences than others of us. Indeed. <laughs> deep, deep thoughts, <laughs> Nathan. <laughs> Middle school's you pretty bad. You and my guy, Theodore Dostoevsky, should team up to write a novel yeah. about this. My High opinion. school is a time of despair. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to terms with the fact that you must suffer and die. Well, middle school is a time of despair. <laughs> <laughs> Life. Is a time of despair. Despair. Little despair. baby despair. <laughs> Wait, who's little baby despair? <laughs> yeah. Little baby despair. You don't know this little baby? No, I've never met him. <laughs> oh, he's here right now. Look, it's little baby despair. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, little baby despair. What's new? What's cracking, man? <laughs> Nothing. Just despairing. <laughs> Just, well, you sound pretty chipper to me. Yep. Just got a grin and bear it. Hey, what do you think about life? It sucks. <laughs> what, if you th- what do you think about humanity? I'm leaving. Goodbye. Okay, bye, baby. Despair. I think he might be a very literal baby. He was sucking on that bottle, so he could have just been talking about his bottle. It sucks. Life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's keep going. Brandon. <laughs> yeah. I've never felt more shame for anyone <laughs> in my life. Hey, I'm proud of that. I'm standing by it. <laughs> No, you, you don't have anything to be ashamed. This is a shame-free zone. <laughs> is it? <laughs> do we, we record in the Planet Fitness. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. <laughs> if anyone goes, or anything, they get kicked out. <laughs> Ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was showing off with his grunts. <laughs> oh, Planet Fitness. It's for fat people. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the Austrian oeuvre. 
Austrian Uva. The Austrian Uva. We're talking about the Austrian. Huh? Yeah, what's what's the best work written by an Austrian? Oh, that's a good Adelweiss. question. Edelweiss. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pretty sure that was just written by some bogus American, Jewish American. It but definitely <laughs> was. <laughs> Edelweiss, Edelweiss. Every morning you greet me. Small and white, clean and bright. You look happy to meet me. Bing. <laughs> Your favorite search engine. Uh, my favorite what? Sorry, Bing. Ah. <laughs> uh, Jane Free Zone. <laughs> okay. Jane Free Zone. <laughs> All right, Jane Austrian. What's your favorite? <laughs> no, 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 no. Do not bring fat out. Help. I told him to leave. We've, we've, we've. <laughs> I gave him one glare and he just flew out of here very sadly. Yeah. I think the, it's been years probably at this point since the mysterious Phantom's shown up. I wonder if he'll make an appearance this year. I think maybe he died last time. But I think we killed him. He died before though. As everybody knows, there is no dying in the bookening universe. That's true. That's true. Jake died that one. Guys, we got to talk about Jane Austrian. She's a lady. <laughs> she writes books. We've read six of them. What is... Do you think she could, if she was such a great writer, she could have written more than six? Yeah. Well, it turns out some people do die. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Jane Austrian. Yes. She's a great lady. Uh Uh-huh. She writes books. Yep. We're going to talk about them. All right. Here. Okay. Here's my first question. What is the thing that has changed the most in your appreciation or understanding or whatever of Jane Austen from the beginning of this podcast when we were all kind of approaching Pride and Prejudice for the first time? To the end, having we've been now six years with this lady, is for for good or for ill. What do you understand about her now, or perceive about her now that you didn't um, before, if anything? I think what I appreciate more than I did at the beginning was we've read a lot of novels now. Some of these novels fancy themselves to be discerning and also funny at the same time, and mm-hmm. often it's really hard to pull off that without just either being acerbic and biting or being just just sardonic and awful well those are the same but also are just being like absurdist right and i think she's able to strike that balance you like her tone she doesn't dry, she doesn't strike you as being condescending too much sometimes she can but it's great and i've grown to really appreciate appreciate that about her tone because i know that tone is really hard to pull off consistently like that and she does it pretty consistently throughout her novels to it you always feel like jane austen is the one telling the story Mm -hmm. so she has a strong command of the way she tells her story and the sort of persona that she gives off there with her storytelling so i don't disagree with any of that good in fact i agree with completely with it thank you she's a mistress of tone yeah I don't know what to add to it, but I definitely agree with it. Jake, same question. So I had only experienced, I came to our show with only Pride and Prejudice under my belt. And so the second book we read was Emma. Mm -hmm. And I spent the greater part of the beginning of Emma really mistrusting Austin because we have this protagonist that we keep going on and on with. And I just wasn't quite sure, am I supposed to be laughing at her and mocking her as much as I hate her? Or am I supposed to like this person? Mm -hmm. I just couldn't quite, I just didn't quite know. I just wasn't quite 
Sure. And so six years later, silly me, she's consistent in her in her moral compass. She's consistent in her tone. You can just trust. You, you know what you're getting when you open an Austin novel. You're getting a consistently good, accurate, dare I say, uh, biblical, I'll say Christian, how about that, mm -hmm. way of understanding people and interpreting them. And it's going to be insightful, it's going to be funny, and yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable how consistent she is. Mm -hmm. Her lows are not very low at all. And her highs are really high. But even then, just the range to high, of high to low is, it's a pretty tight pocket she stays in. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to turn back around and read them all again, I think. Yeah. Maybe you're going to ask this question later and I'm stealing it, but I'm really excited to come back to Emma again. Well, that we'll, we'll get to what our favorite book is, but that's that's got to be in the running, I would think. Obviously, the answer, the right answer has to be Pride and Prejudice, probably. That's the right answer. But... I think if there's a close second, it would be Emma. It would be Emma. Build off what Jake was saying there too. Something else that struck me is that she's able to build these romances. These all fall into the romance category yeah. without having them be cheap or melodramatic. Yeah. That just goes to tone, but it also goes to maturity and self-control that she doesn't allow herself. Because it's very easy when you're dealing with things like this with love or with the only other person, a Tolstoy can balance it well too. Even Shakespeare can sometimes give you a little bit of a feeling that it's not quite the way that humans would actually react. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But she really doesn't ever do that. And I think it's just, it's some of that British dryness mm -hmm. that I know, but that goes a long way for her. And she's able to give you these stories that you feel for the characters, but it's always controlled. Yeah. Yeah. And in the... The, what a part of the fun of it to me is it's sort of like she's got a theater that has exactly three sets and she's got one task, which is tell a love story mm -hmm. with these three sets. You have an inside the house set, you have an out in the open set, and you've got a foreign place set. Mm -hmm. That's Maybe it. a ballroom. Maybe a ballroom, right? And that's it. That's all you've got to work with. And you have to tell a love story. You get six goes and each one has to be different and highlight something different about the way relationships work, the way men work, the way women work, and the different kinds of men and women and relationships that there are. And she manages to consistently tell six different, not just six different love stories, but then you have the sub stories mm -hmm. in each story and the characters that are all, we've said before, she has a type when it yeah. comes to her hero. When it comes to men, but with the women and the love stories that she tells, they're all unique and different. That's pretty cool. Yeah. If you think about Fanny and you think about Elizabeth Bennett and you think about Catherine Moreland and you think about- Anne Elliot. Anne and Elliot. And Eleanor Dashwood. And I think I'm leaving off one. Oh, Emma. Yeah. It really is six- Six very different, pro different protagonists. Women. Yep. And you can identify some similarities between, you might compare Jane Bennett to Fanny Price or, but not really, but also to, I don't know. I mean, her, some of the sub characters, you might find some commonalities with. Protagonists tend to be smarter than everybody, but that's not always true. Catherine Moreland certainly wasn't. Catherine Moreland isn't and Fanny Price isn't. Emma is a sharp girl, but she's a bumbling idiot through that whole story. Yep. So, yeah, 
Right. I'm trying to think what my answer to this question is. Is uh, Her control of tone is masterful. And I feel like some people sneer at that because they say, well, she kept her theater so small that it was, you know, she never went outside of her Yeah, it has purview. nothing to do with it. She didn't it, take though. risk. Yeah, the purview has nothing to do with her control of her tone, right? Yeah. Well, she, she also- I think she would have had controlled tone even had she decided to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And And a lot of that does come down to <clears throat> sticking to what you know. Yeah. She committed herself to being around the house and helping with her nieces and nephews. And she's just an English country woman. And she stuck to what she knew. But what she really knew and where she really took her risks and brought in variety, instead of having scenic set pieces, she just brought different characters across the stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's what she knew as people. Part of it has to do, too, with just the vision that an artist has for the world they've created. You want to buy into the vision the author has, and um, you want it to be a healthy vision, hopefully, that you're falling for. Yep. And so, like the difference between her and even though, I, I know I bring this novel up a lot, but it's not because we hate it. It's just because it's very different than Jane Austen, which is Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. right? There's there Actually, you could accuse that novel, and I think it would be fair enough, of having kind of betraying its original vision. Yeah. Yep. There is a vision that you can buy into at the beginning of that novel that is actually healthy. And if that's what people love about that novel, then I understand, mm-hmm. right? Because it's great. But if what you love about the novel, Jane Eyre, is the weirdness that happens at the end, then you've bought into sort of a gothic perversity. The Jane and, that you love at the beginning of that novel sells herself out with Rochester at the end and it's yeah. presented as romantic. Yeah. And so, but with Jane Austen, you know what's going to happen from the beginning. It's consistent and she follows through. And yeah, it's not a huge grand setting. Mm-hmm. And she, But part of it is she's allowing the characters in the world to do the work. And she still has Jane there. Jane is a little ironic. Jane's a little funny. Jane's a little witty, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to know her through her writing as well. Yeah. But she's still letting this commitment to her world follow through. I think in a sense, Dickens does the same thing. You just have to, there's more that Dickens is asking you to buy into. Right. And some people don't want that. <laughs> some people, fair enough. Well, we're getting another go with Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about the people that sneer, like she always did the same thing is within her purview, there's a lot of variety. And when you speak, talk about tone and you think about these six novels, each one of them actually has a strikingly different tone. That's one of the great things that Jake got caught on with Emma is Pride and Prejudice is a it's funny and everything, but it's also a sincere, straightforward romance that you can buy into. Yeah. Emma's not beginning to do anything like that. No. It has a romance, but it kind of sneaks up on you because first you've got and, to get past this. And and you have to just accept, no, Austin means for you to not like her and she thinks it's kind of funny to paint her as obnoxiously as possible and she's being pretty sarcastic. And Right. But then we read Mansfield Park, which is a... It's funny also, and it has great lines and stuff, but it's a pretty somber, overcast, yeah. feeling, sad book. I mean, yeah, it has a happy ending, but you don't really feel, yeah. you don't feel the same feelings that you it's feel reading Pride. It's not as buoyant as Pride and Prejudice. Pride yeah. and Prejudice is buoyant. It carries you through. And, and Mansfield Park is just kind of laughs every couple pages, and it's going to make you, it's going to put you through some pain. But you're never really worried that Elizabeth's not going to get a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Fanny, it's like, She's already got a sad ending when the book starts. No, it's just like she's just going to make you mortified by how awful Mrs. Bennett is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Embarrassing. Um, 
mama is or at the party or whatever. Yeah. And then persuasion has that real sort of a different kind of melancholy, the older girl and who's missed out on a lot of people relate to that one. She had a chance and got thwarted and Yeah, that elegiac tone. And then Northanger Abbey, just a pure farcical, spoofy little pretty lighthearted winky, lighthearted thing. It's actually very each one of these novels is doing something very different, actually. And it's the same voice. You recognize Jane Austen, you recognize who she is and what she thinks is funny and what her observations about human nature are. But it's actually not just Pride and Prejudice part one and part two and part three and part four. It, it, yeah. Anybody no, that right. complains about her doing the same thing over time ought to, ought to ask themselves why there are so many different adaptations of so many different Austen novels. Yeah. They each have something to offer and they're each interesting. And they all have enough flavors. And they're that, good adaptations. Yeah. It's not just like dumb romance novelists come up with something. It's not the Hallmark Channel. Right. Which is 10 million adaptations of the same one story. Right. I, I think the other surprise, if I'm being honest, is a negative one in some sense. Not, not really, but I think going through these novels a second time, I think most of them I'd have read once and then I read them again for the bookening. There are ways in which Jane Austen does not care about plot as much as I think the average reader does, as much as I do. Oftentimes, if you read them all one after another, year after year, you start to realize like by the end of her books, she's just like tired and she wants to wrap it up. And even Pride and Prejudice, I think it has probably the most well-rounded, well-developed ending. And that's one of the reasons people like it the best. But even that, it's like, and then she saw Darcy and they talked and it was, everything was cool, man. Once she's made once her point. They've solved, once she's solved the conflict. Yeah. Once the conflict has been resolved, once that ball starts rolling down the hill, she just wants to go into epilogue mode. Mm-hmm. Which I've, I found that simultaneously frustrating about almost every one of her books. I mean, even Northanger Abbey, which we've just read. It's like Henry shows up at our house and we don't even get really get dialogue after that. It's just like, and then a bunch of stuff happened that solved the problem. You don't really Who care. cares? That's the mushy yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's the... Yeah. I, I do admire that... I, I think it is humility in a certain sense. I think she is the way this is me reading into it, but the way I read into it is, well, I never actually got a happy ending in real life. I'm not married. I don't know how these conversations go. Actually, I, I my observation ends there. I'm not sure what happens behind closed doors with married couples. No, you know. Well, yeah, it in that sense, I can't give you my dear Mr. Darcy and Well, it's it's almost always the perspective. I've thought of it more as the perspective of the bridesmaid. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, this is somebody I've grown up with. This is somebody I know. It's somebody I'm very close to. I've watched this and I've watched it from our heroine's perspective. And whoop, they, they just said, I do. They are now in, in the thick of the romantic relationship that's moving towards I do. And so I'm kind of from, from now on, once we hit that point where the conflict's resolved between these two, this I'm, is where I I'm, gracefully withdraw. Yeah, I, I'm slowly cut out. I'm not. So central to her story anymore. I'm just a side character. Yeah, I mean, she actually evokes that pretty specifically. She'll say things like in a number of books where it's like, we were all happy when, you know, Emma got married or. Yeah. Yeah. She spins up a friend and gives her a story and then she marries her off. Right. Although one of the cute details of Austin Lay's hagiography or whatever is, as people like to sneeringly think of it, is that 
you could you could if you were her you ask her. friend you could say hey so what's emma up to these days and she'd be like well she has two kids and she lives here and mr knightley's business like she, she would just give you updates on their lives which is fun <sighs> people sneer at that they sneer at the nephew for writing oh, the yes. biography yeah that's right but i think it's dumb but we've talked about that on multiple austin episodes before all right guys best supporting character in a jane austen novel. i'll tell you we're gonna get to best villain so you don't have to blow your villain here and obviously we'll do best man best woman okay and we can add categories if you want to divide this up further but i think maybe just best supporting character uh that's hard yeah that is let's let's list some of the top candidates bingley yeah and jane well are we thinking like most entertaining because you've got funny ones. Well, you're the one defining the categories. You mean you should tell know. us? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you said best supporting character, so I just started with Pride and Prejudice, and yeah. So you have, and you said no, don't worry about villains, so that took Wickham off. Yeah, and by our def- by our famous argument, it took Mr. Mr. Bennett, Bennett off, although he's yeah. a pretty great supporting character. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Mrs. Bennett is a great supporting character. She's Norris. Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris may or may not high. be a, well. Uh, if considering that we have villain. a best villain category, though, I think Mrs. Norris might have to go there. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I don't know who I hated, who I've hated more in a Jane Austen novel. It's pretty awesome. You know, why don't we just start I've with the best villain category? Because since assumed that Mrs. Norris, the cat, yes, is named for her. I assume yeah. so because old Joe says she likes those, doesn't she? Yeah. I mean, how could she not? Let's do best villain first. This will be easier to define. So your top candidates would be, of course, Wickham, Mrs. Norris, Mr. Bennett. Willoughby, Lady Catherine, Thorpe. Yeah, Thorpe. Thorpe's, he was pretty obnoxious. Isabella Thorpe, too. Yeah. But really, it comes down to Wickham and Willoughby and Mrs. Norris. Well, I think Wickham. And, and if you can't pull Wickham, and when we are, spent all our time arguing that the real villain of Pride and Prejudice was Mr. Bennett. That's true. <laughs> We're not actually going to give the best villain in the whole Austin Oeuvre award to Mr. Bennett, though. <laughs> no, we? no, Wickham is a better villain to give that to. Yeah. I mean, I would say if, if she has different flavors of villains, as far as the callow young men. Sub villains can be better villains than boss villains. If Mr. Bennett's the boss villain of yeah, Pride but, and Prejudice. That doesn't make Mr. Wickham less interesting or colorful or yeah. fun. And Mrs. Norris is the one that she chooses to actually give an unhappy ending to. Yeah. So I think she kind of votes for Mrs. Norris. I mean, my vote is for Mrs. Norris because viscerally my gut, like in terms of characters that I've probably Mrs. Norris in all the books we've read on the book and ranks high as far as, I mean, she'd be right up there with. There's certainly nobody that I can think of off the, no villain off the top of my head, maybe in letters that I've experienced more schadenfreude for in reading what happens to her yeah like, yeah yeah she's nasty and that's you, right you you deserve that you, yeah sh- sh- every ounce of it and it's such a good shot in freud because it's not overdone it's just like it's what would happen to her it's it's exactly it's she made her bed she lies in it kind of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect i would say the only characters that we've read are oh what are their names i can't pull them right now the war and peace the people that ruin try and ruin yeah uh, natasha not dolikov but the other ones um, oh, the sister and brother yeah, yeah. helena and Anatole. Yeah. yeah. The Kurgans. The Kurgans. Yeah. As far as visceral hatred that books have inspired in me, I think Mrs. All the books we've read. A villain like, say, Kathy in East of Eden, like, she's just she's interesting just and fun and, like, actively hate her. She just yeah. occupies that place in the story. Mrs. Norris is a hateful 
person to have to read about, and so are the Kurrigans. Yep. So I give it to Mrs. Norris. I think I give I'm it to you. Mrs. Norris too. Yep. No question. Easy. Easy. All right. Best supporting. Oh, let me narrow this down a little bit so we can get this show on the road. Best supporting female. Does that help? Maybe. Okay. Hmm. So you've got Mrs. Bennett. You've got Henry Lydia Harriet. From I said Harriet. Yeah, you've got Harriet. You've got sure you've got Lydia. You've got Marianne and Sense and Sensibility. Although you could argue she's a co-lead, I guess. Isabella. <laughs> Isabella Thorpe. I mean, she's kind of a villain. I want to go with Lydia. Kind of maybe that's a little outside the box, but she brings an element. Her existence brings an element. The Bennett sisters bring some color to Pride and Prejudice that I feel like is missing in all the other. Maybe not missing, but just like Pride and Prejudice seems like a slightly less constricted world. There's more colorful people off to the side as opposed to just one person yeah, coming well, on stage and then going off again. Yeah, you've got. I mean, everything from her friend and the Reverend. I can't think of their names. Oh, Collins. Collins and, Collins and Lit this has to be up there for. Supporting male. Yeah, that's true. And you've got Bingley. Yeah. It's just, it's hard to pull anything out of, I think, I this may turn out to be an exercise in why Pride and Prejudice is the best mm. Austin novel. Yeah. You can you can pull uh, Knightley or Wentworth over Darcy. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I think we will. And uh, Yeah, we will. Mm. But, but outside of that, and maybe you can, maybe you would pull Emma. You might. Be able to find a protagonist outside of Elizabeth Bennett, but Elizabeth Bennett is enormously appealing. But we'll get there. Yeah, um, you have to work hard to to beat out Elizabeth Bennett. You can beat out Darcy, but when you think of the whole rest of the cast of characters, well, let's see. Pride and Prejudice feels pretty untouchable to me. I think in almost every category, Mansfield Park is an interesting dark horse. So, for example, the female, whatever her name is, Mary. I think. Yeah. And the she's kind of a villain, but. In fact, I think she just is a villain. But the other main girl in Mansfield Park the is... The one that's condemned with Mrs. Norris, right? Well, there's her. Yeah, there's the sister. There's the bad sisters. What's her name? I don't remember what her name is. Okay. No, she means Mary. Mary, the one who's going to try to inst- instigate the play. Oh, yeah. She's bright. She's vivacious. She actually, on the surface, doesn't feel that much different than a... Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bennett, Bennett yeah, but, but it's the dark side of Elizabeth Bennett. Yeah. 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 She's a pretty great female character. Emma just doesn't have supporting characters because it's really just a two-hander between Emma and Mr. Knightley and that's all yeah. it should be and all it needs and to be. And Harriet's just a foil and what's the villain's name? Fred. Well, Fred. He's yeah. kind of a fake villain, but yeah. uh, Frank. Frank. Yeah. Frank yeah. Underhill, maybe. Yeah. So Lydia, final answer. Best I, supporting... I can get behind Lydia. You know what I'm going to say in terms of the character that made me laugh, which is maybe one way to think of this the most. Actually, Pride and Prejudice wins it with Mrs. Bennett. No, Mrs. Bennett just made me cringe. That lady yeah. is pure cringe. But Mary Bennett. Mary, Mary yeah. Bennett is Mary's great. so dumb in such a recognizable way when she yeah. reads, when she's like, oh, I've read this passage. from That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny. So I'll just give it to Mary. How about that? Sounds yeah. great. That's good. I'm sticking with Lydia because she gives us more to work with with her relationship. With. And I give it to Jane. Because there you go. We and Jane's together, a sweetheart. By our yeah. powers combined, we chose the Bennett sisters. There we hey, go. Hey, there you go. In your face, other Bennett sister. Yeah. The one we can't even remember her name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was even another one. Yeah. yeah, she's like fake. She's like oh, Lydia. Yeah. Lydia Lydia's, part two. Lydia's twin. Yeah. She's the one that... Yeah. 
is disappointed because daddy cracks the whip a little bit after yeah. Lydia. She's the one that Jane Austen also kind of forgets about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always a f- sis- an extra sister in these books and I never understand why. why? But Jane yeah. Austen always likes to have an extra sister around who maybe just because people had big families back then. So she yeah. didn't feel like she could just restrict it to the main players. There are children with the families that seem to be the forgotten ones. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. So we got best supporting woman. We haven't said best supporting man yet, right? Yeah. So, Collins, I think, has to be in the running. Collins is definitely yeah. in the running. Mr. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Mr. Bennett. Bingley. 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 Who else would be there? Emma's dad. Emma's dad, yeah. Emma's dad is pretty funny. The guy that, I don't remember his name, which maybe is a strike against him, but the, the father figure in Mansfield Park. Oh, yeah. He's pretty great. And she does a lot of interesting things with his relationship with his daughters. and That's mm-hmm. good. Where he actually... He certainly... That book is is a big zero without him. He's a really integral, defining force in that book. Yeah, for sure. I like Collins because... Can't think of his name. Yeah, Sir something. Sir Thomas. Sir Thomas, that's what it is, yeah. You like Collins, Brandon? Oh, just because he's surprising that early on you're supposed to hate him so much, yet she has a little sweetness in the way she portrays him later in his relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. Charlotte. That even annoying people can have a happy life. Yeah. In their way. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean they're not annoying, but. No. It doesn't also, doesn't mean they're not pathetic and despicable, but. There were, speaking of pathetic and despicable, despicable, the rector guy in Emma is pretty great too. Yeah. Yeah. And his wife, she's, she deserves to be mentioned in the villains. It's that yes. Shallow that's lady. That's like all vulgar and doesn't deserve to be part of her class. Yeah. So we all said, so you said Collins. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Collins. You said. I didn't. Oh. There's a lot of virtue in giving it to Collins, but just to change it up, I'll go with Sir Thomas. Yeah. Sir Thomas is pretty great. And I will go with, oh man, I'm trying to pull some completely random dark horse, but I don't, can't even think of somebody like for somebody from Persuasion, that guy that reads poetry in Persuasion. He's pretty funny. Remember that guy? Yes. I can't in good conscience give it to him. I'll give it to Colonel Brandon. There you go. Frailty, thy name is Brandon. (laughs) Yeah, Frailty is his name. Little nod to Alan Rickman. Little nod, yeah, just there's nothing about the character that really deserves it, but Alan Rickman played him, which means he gets grandfathered in. So, best scene in a Jane Officer novel. Oh, badly done, Emma. Yeah, that's really obvious, isn't it? Yeah, no, you can't beat it. Yeah. And if, if Emma was to win the best novel, it would be because that's on the back of badly done yes it would be on the back of badly done emma yeah what else would even be in the running just for discussion's sake i mean you have you have bewitched me body and so that's what a lot of people would put in the running i don't know if we would the staircase scene in northanger abbey just because it's so well done so tense Uh, that's recency bias you would have forgotten it existed probably it was pretty tense i mean i i actually stopped reading because i was like i don't want to see the awkward maybe the scene in mansfield park where you actually go back to see her family Oh, that's painful. Yeah. That, that, that's ranking for one of the most painful scenes. Yeah. It's well done. It is well done. Yeah. Mansfield Park deserves a lot of love. It really is. It does. We read the three best ones out of the gate. Yeah. I think say. that yeah. we read them one, two, three. Yeah. And probably we would have felt better about some of the other ones if we'd sandwiched them because we really just, it, yeah. Anyway, I guess we'll talk about that down the road, but. Best scene is badly done. I mean, she doesn't really write a lot of scenes, I guess. She writes more like little little moments and then expository passages. Yeah. yeah. All right. Garden with Lady Catherine. It's pretty good. That's a good scene. 
It's a nice like empowerment scene. Yeah. My Mr. Darcy. My, My Mr. Darcy. My Mrs. Darcy, that's what it is. You may call me goddess on Tuesdays. Yeah. All right, well, let's do it. Best heroine. Emma. I thought I was going to have to fight for it, but Emma's my pick. I think I'm going to go for Emma because she starts out, uh, she has more to develop into. This is the best transformation and she yeah. ends really well. She ends really well. Her repentance is really sweet and her obnoxiousness while it's it is It's everything obnoxious. that you want to see. Especially because everybody knows somebody like that and they wish that that person would go from the... And sometimes they and do. Sometimes they do. And it's the sweetest thing in the world. Yep. And, but yeah, we were talking on our Northanger Abbey episode about, you know, I was just saying that book makes me sort of just reminds me God is kind to stupid people. And much more so, Emma does that sort of thing yep. brilliantly. Like, is there anything that really makes Emma deserve this? No, she's just got a softer conscience than... <laughs> the same character that would have been a villain in another Jane Austen novel. And also in God's grace, and, yeah. he gave her George Knightley. Yeah, exactly. And gave her the heart to actually listen to George Knightley. Uh, uh, often the two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Emma wins. In your face, Elizabeth Bennet. Yep. Whoa. What a drudge. She's the clear second. I mean, she's so prototypically the hero of a Jane Austen novel. She's so just the platonic ideal of a woman hero in any story. I think that she's hard to beat, but she's also kind of a little hard to get excited about because it's right. just like, yeah, well, let's get on to the next category and give it make, to Knightley and make it where it's really challenging for Pride and Prejudice to pull this off. Well, does anybody want to argue for anyone besides Knightley for no. Best Man? No. No. I mean, badly it. Done wins it all by itself. Yep. And then he just is the best guy. I mean, he's, yeah. He's a total dude. He's, you could argue for Wentworth, but I, w- I don't want to. I just don't see what... Wentworth doesn't nearly get the opportunity to shine right. like Knightley does. Nobody does, actually. And Knightley doesn't feel Darcy humorless. does behind the scenes. Yes, Darcy does behind the scenes, which is, again, I think a credit to Austin's care. I think you mostly just see the men from the women's perspective, right? And so you see these interactions and you see the actions behind the scenes, but Knightley's the one who's on screen the most yeah. with Emma. And he gets the best opportunity to really shine in on screen instead of behind. I guess some of our, so who's the, the guy from Mansfield Park? What's his name again? Sir Thomas? No, it's that's the, the, the love interest. Oh, Edward, I think. Yeah. He's uh, pretty good. He's good. And he has the, they have that whole scene where... They're dealing with hypocrisy and pastors and stuff like oh, that. Oh, in the chapel, yeah. The That's chapel. a fantastic scene. That's Well, he just gets to do a number of things where he sticks up for a fanny and gets her a horse and stuff. Yeah. You, you really love, insofar as you feel sorry for fanny, you love him for and he gets taking to such good care of her. Like, yeah. like Emma, he, he gets to mature. Yeah, he ends up projecting the Somebody out there might be upset that we choose the woman who matures, but we don't choose a man that matures. We think that the men are already best when they're already matured well none of us are choosing nightly because we're like oh yeah i'd be that awesome we're, we're choosing him like because we're not who would you like to be <laughs> yeah idealistically <laughs> who would you aspire to yeah the most yeah i mean i who would you be most happy about your daughter marrying yes yeah the answer yeah. is nightly yeah there's there's just no period question. Yep. i mean that's the most clarifying way to think about it who would you be most happy about marrying your daughter nightly nightly will it be obviously well okay so 
And I got a soft spot for Anne, by the way, on the heroine side of things. I really like Anne. I feel like so much of what I like about Anne is just contained in her basic predicament, though, as opposed to anything that actually really happens in the novel. And I'm not criticizing it so much as just observing. Of course, I like Anne because it's setups and it's a good setup for liking Anne. Well, I have a soft spot for Anne because Anne feels like the most Austin late in life wish fulfillment. I was young and dumb and I learned my lessons and I had hard things and I was resigned to being an old maid. And Mm -hmm. then, hey, look, (laughs) yay, a happy ending for me. And I'm beautiful again. (laughs) (laughs) Because why not? I'm writing. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I just I, li- I like I have that a soft about spot Anne. for Anne just because I think of if I feel sad for for Jane, I feel soft about Anne. Well, well, and there's we all know there are bitter Christian women who messed everything up and then are just mad at the world, and it's hard to have that much compassion for them. But there also are real Anne Elliots, and it's nice that they have a touchstone. Yep. in this book. I mean, I've known a, I've known a few women. I think we all have who yeah. are good women who have to wait a long time to get married or maybe don't. And it's nice that they have this character as, yeah. And they all love, they all say persuasion's their favorite. Yeah. And for good reason. And I'm really glad that Jane gave that man. Yeah. You know, know, I just jumped back. We were in the men and you're moving on, but just occurred to me to say that out loud. Yeah. She's pretty great. Well, is there anybody else that we haven't mentioned in any category that, before I move on to best book that just from the whole Austin oeuvre deserves a little bit more love than we've given. No, I can't. Eleanor doesn't. No. Okay. So that might be one of my negative surprises because I had never read Sense and Sensibility and coming to it after reading most of the other ones twice. It was like, yeah, this is fine. It's good. I think Sense and Sensibility spoiler is going to be my number six. I think that might be true. Now they're all, it's all Michelangelo. It's all the Beatles, but yeah. Lesser greatness. Yes. Well, okay. I guess we got to rank them. How are we going to do this? Why don't we all take a moment to rank them for ourselves? Okay. I think that this is actually pretty easy. It's it's easy. I've already got them. I've already got them ranked. It's only a question of which is four and five for me, and that's easy too. I just talked myself into it. So I wonder if we'll all actually come to the same thing. Actually, we probably won't. Maybe. Unless you guys decide to go wonky in the same way that I am. All right. Column. Sense and Sensibility is number six. I thought you were saying that was number one. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Obviously. Frailty, that means, like, are we all going to say our number six? Kind of up. Yeah. yeah, why don't we all say our number six? Yeah, I think I'm going with Sense and Sensibility number six. Me too. Because I'm thinking of which ones would I want to read the least. Yeah. That's so the should one. we each take a turn with a new one? With the five? Number yeah, five? Five yeah. for me is Northanger Abbey. Same. Same. Okay. All right. And number four, Persuasion. Same. Same. All right. This is where it gets. Number three is Mansfield Park. Same. Yep. Agree. Same. Okay. Here's where we get interesting. Yep. yep. Which one am I? So here's how I'm ranking this. Mm-hmm. Which woman? Which one am I the most excited to go back and read again? Mm-hmm. Is it my turn to say? Uh, that's the two different questions for me. So I mean, so this is going to give you my two, two and one. So number two for me is Pride and Prejudice. Number one is Emma. Same here. And that's where you guys are just wrong. Sorry. I don't care what 
humanity has to derive from Jane Austen. I don't care what is objective here. I'm just saying. That's why I qualified it by yeah. saying, which one am I the most excited? I am also most excited about going back to Emma. So here's what I will That's the one I am most excited about reading again. But if after the second reading of Emma, it, this may change, but if I could take one Austen novel with me to Desert Island, if I could put one in a time capsule, if I could have one guaranteed win, if I could give one to a kid in high school or college, it's going to be Pride and Prejudice every single time. That's a good argument for it. If so I, what I put <clears throat> one Austen novel in the running for best novel of all time, it's going to be Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I feel that this is a if situation. If I'm going to have one Austen novel to run up against Tolstoy, I'm going to pick Pride well, and Prejudice. That's actually what I was it. about to say is I that, that I feel that we're in a situation again where you have an author who wrote two masterpieces. Mm-hmm where both of them are, have such good qualities about them that it's hard to, you have an argument for both. It's kind of like Tolstoy with Anna Karenina and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. You have an argument for both. You can see your way to either one. And for me, I'm so, I think that you're right as far as like which one actually is like the quintessentially better novel. I think it is Pride and Prejudice. But if I'm ranking this just personally, like which one do I have win? For my preference, it's Emma. And it is solely based on nightly. The reason I'm excited about, I'm most excited about going back to Emma is because I, I'm excited to reevaluate it mm. in light of everything else she wrote. I'm excited to come to it again, to come to it with fresh eyes and to come to it with a better sense of what I'm getting. Yeah. I just think it's hard for me to make a determination because every one of the questions that you said, I wanted to go a different way. Like you said, which one would I give to a high schooler? Which one would I put in a time capsule? Well, a certain kind of high schooler, obviously, you'd give Emma, and we all know lots of girls and boys that need that book more than they ever need Pride and Prejudice, but which book is going to be more likely to help more high schoolers? Obviously, it's Pride and Prejudice. There's absolutely no question. That's because its purview is much wider than- Exactly, and so it's it's there's opportunities to see yourself and everybody else in- Collins and and Charlotte and Lydia and Wickham and the mom and dad in Jane and Bingley in Elizabeth and Wickham and Elizabeth and Darcy every step along the way and you get a great expose of the Wickhams of the world you get a great expose of the Lydias of the world every reason you want to give Emma to a certain girl is also a reason to make sure she sees who Lydia is so I think it's all just there and self-contained. And it's also the most likely book to get them to come back to Austin. The others. Yeah, it's it's the That's most, fair. It has the, it's the hookiest. But I think intrinsic in your argument is the idea that the world's greatest buffet must be, be better than the world's greatest steak. Yes, Pride and Prejudice has greater variety and does does more things and does more things better. But the, the one thing that Emma does, that one character and the way that her story unwinds is so perfect yeah i i mean i would recharacterize it and say i'm not arguing for the world's greatest buffet i'm arguing for a seven course meal over over argue inarguably perfect steak and what i'm saying is when the steak is this good it's an open question to me as to whether it's not actually better than the seven course meal emma is in many ways the perfect novel. It doesn't do as many things as Pride and Prejudice, but that also allows it, I think, to do the things that it does do 
that much more well. uh, that yeah. much more perfect. I mean, in terms of what it sets out to do, it's just such a home run. And so is yeah. Pride and Prejudice. I mean, they're really close. I married Emma, so that probably makes yeah. a great deal of difference. Yeah. Yeah, I was, when we were talking about Mansfield Park, I was remembering the conversation that we had. Oh yeah, about how Nathan should definitely end up with Fanny. Yeah, would it would like be that? like Fanny or Elizabeth. And I was thinking, and you got Emma. Okay. Yeah. Emma Knightley, not, not so. We're, we're not saying I got the world's most obnoxious <laughs> matchmaking <laughs> idiot who looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. It is true that, I don't think my wife would mind me talking about this. She comes from, in many ways, because of circumstances beyond her control, having to be a very tough, obnoxious Emma kind of person. And she has had to repent into being my sweetheart. So there is something about that novel that is personal to me that is particularly sweet and resonant. Just like, it's so yeah, I it's think so of- cool that God does those things. And it's so cool to watch him do it with that kind of a woman and to watch a woman go from being hard to being soft is just like, there's something really sweet about that. Yeah. The verse is true of certain stories about men going from being wimps to being manly. I like those kinds of stories too, but yeah. you don't actually get that many great woman becoming a real woman kind of stories, at least that I've read. So yeah, it's probably pretty subjective and personal, but I just really love the story of Emma. I think it's just like, it makes me happy to think about it. Yeah. But I will give you that for many people, Pride and Prejudice probably is the book that they would enjoy more and the book that would do more good things for them. Definitely the book the world has enjoyed more. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to argue with the tradition, then there's no question that the world loves Pride and Prejudice the best. There again. The world, I think Emma's the second. I yes. think Pride and Prejudice is the book that I gave to... My Emma. Your Emma. Yes. We fell... Uh, people have heard the story. You can go back and listen to Midnight's talking, Children. You fell in love talking about... <laughs> Pride, and Pre- Pride, Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice. Yeah. yeah. But there's no Emma in the world that thinks, I'm an Emma. They all think they're Elizabeth Bennett. That's, exactly that's right. That's the great <laughs> irony <laughs> of, all, yeah. of all of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the same is true of every Lydia and the same is true of every woman imagines himself as Elizabeth Bennett. And maybe that's why in some perhaps except for maybe a couple Fanny Prices out there. Yeah. Who wouldn't dare. She's I I could never be Elizabeth. (laughs) I'm just Fanny Price. I'll be in my cold room with no heat. (laughs) That perhaps is, I'm not saying this is a right instinct in me, but if I'm going to dock Pride and Prejudice one one hundred thousandth of a point, it is because every Lydia reading it Thinks they're Elizabeth. Yeah, and, so and every many, every Lydia thinks that their Wickham is is Darcy when it's still Wickham. Yeah, and as comparatively lame as some of the other Austen books are compared to the perfection that is Pride and Prejudice, at least you can't mistake them for being conventional romances. You realize they're about wisdom and foolishness and human nature. Lots of people mistake Pride and Prejudice for just being a conventional, a conventional. He's getting wet in the rain as he confesses his love kind of story. And it's the only Austin book that I think an intelligent reader might be misled. I mean, really no Austin book an intelligent reader would be misled. But when you've seen a billion movies and you have a certain idea, it's going to be hard to break out of it. So maybe I'm docking it a little bit for that. Brandon, you said you're you're giving it to where? How are you going on this? He he went your way. 
You go. You went team Emma. I did. Emma. I gave my reasons too. Yeah. You, you can go back when you edit the podcast. Oh, I will. Hear <laughs> I will. To me, I was listening, Brandon. Don't worry. Yeah, no, I, I was listening. It's been a long day. I guys. even suspect has, our listeners were listening. It has been a long day. Yeah, and I, and I have to listen to everything twice. So if I tune it out a little bit the first time, hey, <laughs> I tune it out too. Can we all agree? The Emma Pride and Prejudice Mansfield Park. Those are those are kind of the the big three, and yep. the other three are. Yeah, Mansfield Park. What a dark horse to throw in there, but I kind of love that book. If it had a slightly, if she had developed the ending a little bit, I think we might be talking about that as her great novel because yeah. it's quite a ride, and yeah. you really do love Fanny, and you really do. There really is a lot to chew on in that book. Yeah. Yep. So a lot to take away. Yeah. Yeah. That might be actually the one I'm looking the most forward to rereading just because I know it's going to strike me completely differently this time. And there's going to be other, there's going to be lots to process again. I love Emma. The next time you come back to it, you'll have a little toddler. Yeah. That's Lord true. Willen. Yeah. Lord willing. That's, that's pretty crazy. I just want to make it very clear to the people that are listening and to my wife, because I know she's listening. You're not bad, Emma. You're good, Emma. Oh my goodness. I think we got it, Nathan. <laughs> Never entered my head to think that. I don't think it would enter most people's heads to think that she was bad, Emma, but you certainly planted it there. For I them. know, I know. The lady doth, the, the Nathan doth protest too much. You're fine, Nathan. You're fine. It's okay. My Fanny Price wants me home, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just tell her you'll come home whenever you want. All she right. should... Uh, Badly done, Fanny. Badly done, Fanny. No, you should never give that kind of speech to Fanny. Fanny. Poor Fanny. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, obviously, the subtext of all of this is that I'm nightly, right? That's that's what what I really want the listeners (laughs) to take away. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess we'll be back next year with Pride and Prejudice. Here's a question. Do we want to go in the same order? Yeah, I think we should. Probably, because we want equal distance from each book. Yeah. It's been six years since Pride and Prejudice. It is going to be fun to grow up with these books. We are all yeah. going to be now significantly older than Elizabeth Bennett. We, we were the first time too, but there's a difference between being where we were and where we are. I don't know. We weren't even 30. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is we were, we were still in the same decade with Elizabeth Bennett last time we read this book. Now, that's crazy. now it's like we're we not. pressing right up on 40 this go around. Exactly. Man. We get old, you know. It makes you feel differently when you're looking at the book, not imagining yourself as the ma- m- the romantic lead, but imagining yourself as like the paternal figure on the sidelines who's like, yeah. aw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Young people fall in love sometimes. I'll have a 14-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter next time we... Yeah, you got to get them, get them to read Pride and Prejudice sometime soon if they're that not going to make a is... bad match. I know. So I, was, yeah. I was just thinking that. I was thinking... Huh, I wonder if Peter's ready for Pride and Prejudice yet. I'm going well, say not yet, but close. Okay, guys, we've recorded seven of these today. I don't think we're going to shout the donors out on this one, but we love you all. You know what I think I'll do? What's that? I think I'll have him read it with me next year. That's a great idea. I might have Elliot do the same thing. Yeah. And I'll read that little block book of Pride and Prejudice that's like four pages long to my one-year-old. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We got this all figured out. We got this all figured out? Yeah. She'll learn that D is for Darcy or something like that. You guys know those little, those little I do books, know those so, books, those yeah. Those are fun. I'm sure all our listeners know those books. Jack will get jealous and pretend like he could actually read Pride and Prejudice too. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. 
I need to say hello to Phineas Crum, young Phineas Crum, a friend, uh, son of a friend. I promised I might say hello on the podcast. He loves the bookening. He is very much, gentlemen, looking forward to us reading Invisible Man. Uh-huh. Well, That's Phineas. Great. He went out of his way to tell me this, and I just want to say, sir, you have good taste. Huh. Keep reading, Phineas. Keep reading, Phineas. Read on, Phineas. Read on, Phineas. Hey, you got a shout out from Fat Al Plane. <laughs> <laughs> 